This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, during the event surrounding Wharton's reunion weekend, celebrating past alumni and their accomplishments, and offering the opportunity to cultivate connections and learn from renowned Wharton professors, this is a Business Radio special presentation of Leadership in Action. Here are your hosts, Director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management, Professor Mike Usim, and Executive Director of the Wharton Leadership Program, Jeff Klein. Welcome, everybody. Special reunion edition of uh, Leadership in Action. That is us on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I am your host, Mike Usim. I'm with the Center for Leadership and Change and the McNulty Leadership Program. And sitting right next to me right now is my good friend, the director, the executive director of the McNulty Leadership Program, Jeff Klein. Jeff, great to have you here in the studio. Hey, Mike. How are you? Great. Uh, Jeff, this is a reunion weekend. We know what happens when we graduate, but what exactly happens at a reunion? And you've been back, I think, to your reunion here since you are one of our esteemed MBA graduates. So Uh what's up with reunion? Uh, I I think the primary thing that happens is there's a ton of hugging that goes on. (laughs) Very modern. (laughs) Right? There's a lot of, like, making eye contact from across the room, reconnecting. Hugs. I mean, I think there's some education going on. Too. Uh, a little bit, and uh, probably a lot of comments. You don't look a day older, and so on. There, there's a whole. Oh, you? Get, I, haven't, I haven't been getting that. <laughs> are, are you getting that? I, one? I meant to say that, Jeff. Oh, yeah, no, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's what they tell me, of course. Yeah. So anyway, welcome. Um, I want to bring our guest though quickly into our dialogue. He's here with us in the studio. Uh, Gopi uh, Khalil, great to have you here with us. You are at your reunion. Thank you, Professor Seem. Great to be back. Hi, Jeff. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you, Gopi. Let me say a word about Gopi, and we're going to jump right into it. He has one of the most interesting, intriguing titles on his business card. We're going to ask him about that. He is the Chief Evangelist for Brand Marketing at Google. We're going to get him to explain that one, of course. Uh, He has has a Master's of Business Administration out of our school here, so he's back for his graduation. Uh, He published a, a book. Listen carefully to the title. The Internet to the Internet. The Internet to the Internet. Five ways to reset your connection and live a conscious life. So, Gopi, uh, really great to have you here. Uh, just to jump into it here, how did you go from here when you finished up to no less than Google out in Silicon Valley? How did you get from here to there? Well, while graduating, it was pretty clear that I wanted to pursue a career in the technology industry because what uh, really drove me was the intersection of technology and business for greater good. So I left uh, Wharton to join McKinsey in their technology practice in Silicon Valley. And after a few years, I teamed up with uh, somebody from the firm to start a company. And we did two startups over the next uh, six years. Both were acquired, <laughs> and I hastened to add modest acquisitions. And then it took some time off, actually, to travel uh, around the world. And in between the two startups, I met up with you, Professor Asim, and we <laughs> went to Kanchanchunga to do the Warden Leadership Trek in the Himalayas, too. We did, and I just want to mention to listeners, uh, Kanchanchunga, the world's fourth highest mountain. Third highest, it? yeah. So after Everest and K2. K2, so third highest. It's on the border of Nepal and India, the eastern end of Nepal. Gopi and I spent a couple... Oh, a couple of weeks, really, trying to get into where a kind of a base camp might be located, so we're close in it. Anyway, as we got back to the vehicles, as we're heading back to civilization and flying back home, Gopi, you took out a long list of 100 things to do in life, and you put a big check mark 
trekking in the Himalayas. I'll never forget that. Yes. So <laughs> you've got a few more checks, I assume, on your checklist. Yeah, about 48 on that list are done now. Really? 52 to go? Yes. What What's left? Among the ones that are left? Yeah. Oh, well, to uh, create a program that could impact a billion people and change their lives. I like it. Which may take about 400 years to accomplish. That's so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> when Joseph Wharton provided the naming grant to set up our school, uh, to quote him directly, it was intended to help this business school solve the problems of civilization. So thank you for carrying out that DNA that we all inherit. Let me quickly, though, get over to this title that I mentioned. Uh, you've been at Google now for quite a while, and you are currently the chief evangelist. Let me say it again, chief evangelist for brand marketing at Google. I understand brand marketing. I think I know what chief evangelist is, but fill that one in if you wouldn't mind. Sure, yeah. Uh, well, I jokingly tell people my real job is to test the free food and massage program at Google. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Pat, it's passing? <laughs> yeah, so far so good. Yeah, yeah. Somebody has to do that. All right. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, in this role, when I say chief evangelist brand marketing, I work with the thousand largest brands in the world who are all customers of Google and help <laughs> work with the leadership of those companies to understand how to build their brands on digital because if you pick up any one of the brands, whether it's an auto company or a consumer products company or a financial services company, every single one of their customers are doing something on the digital platform and provides a great way to connect and engage with them. And and, and I help them understand how to transition to this new world and demystify <laughs> the whole aspect of building their brand. So just one final question for me, sure. and we'll get uh, Jeff uh, pulled in here. How's it going? <laughs> in Doing what you just said. Oh, it is going yeah. extremely well. Yeah. And uh, the pace at which things are moving, changing is like stunning. I could not have anticipated this when I graduated. It is uh, astonishing to be part of it and just watch everything that is unfolding. Yeah. I, I'd be curious, what uh, as you work with these leading brands, what are some of the common questions they have about how to establish their their presence in a digital in a digital world? Well, the primarily one, the, the, the most important one is how can we find the consumers or customers who are interested in our products and services? Sure. And how can we have a meaningful, engaging conversation with them without, uh, with, without being intrusive into their life? So being of service, I think, is the greatest message that uh, I pass on to them. Like find who's really interested in mm-hmm. your product or service in the window when they most care about. So, for example, if somebody's buying a home during that six-month window post-buying, they're interested in certain home improvement services mm-hmm. or other things around the house. And after that, that interest wanes off and they might move on to something else. Maybe they're having a baby and a completely different set of products and services enter their awareness set when they're sure. deeply interested. In. So how do you find the right person in each stage? Or like, this is graduation week. And the graduates and families who are graduating have interest in certain things from housing to, to to bed and furniture and the moving services that they care deeply about. Sure. So how do you find them and have a conversation with them during the window is really the thing that most of the CMOs are trying to understand. Yeah. And w- was this kind of a role in the, the relationship that you're able to develop with these brands? Um, was this a a response to customer inquiries for Google? Was this something that Google said, you know what, we need to be out there kind of leading the way and shaping the conversation? I would say more of the latter. I pretty okay. much created this role. I asked for it. I felt that there would be a need for it. I did see it coming up front. And okay. uh, luckily, I work in a, 
organization where they give you a lot of freedom to shape right. uh, your career and what you want to do. So I asked for this role. Was this a role within Google that um, you were building towards, or was this something that was really a, a change in direction? No, I would say this was building towards okay. as in a, each wave of marketing services have been built on top of digital. Uh, in the early days, it was simply like if you're interested in an air ticket, quickly a company could offer you mm-hmm. an air ticket. So how are your hotel rooms? But now more sophisticated way of connecting the brand itself to the consumer is popping up, and this is an emergence of how the whole world of digital is emerging. Actually, it's a, a sign of how uh, consumers at large mm-hmm. are spending more and more time on the digital platform yeah. in <coughs> every aspect of their life, from finding information to finding a location, the nearest coffee shop or yoga store, that they, yoga studio they want to get to, mm-hmm. to using it for what our CEO calls to live, learn, and love every aspect of their life. Hmm. Gopi, uh, just picking up on what you've been doing at Google and having you think for a minute to use an academic social science phrase as a very well-placed observer, or even academics sometimes refer to somebody who's kind of on the inside being a participant observer, but I want to stress the observer part. Uh, Enormous interest out there. Uh, You know this, of course. Uh, Jeff and I do extremely well as well. Enormous interest in how Google operates. What's the rhythm, the the tempo? How do people make decisions? And apropos the title of this program here, Leadership in Action, what is it, I'll make it personal to begin with here, what has it taken for you within Google to get the title, uh, to move heaven and earth, and make things happen? So underlying that, of course, is a question about what does it take to lead in your own experience at Google? Yeah, I think the most fundamental thing that drives the company and everybody works there is a sense of mission, a sense of purpose that comes from the original mission statement that the two founders who are young PhDs dropouts out of Stanford wrote, which is to organize all of the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful. And it might seem like a very profound statement to make, but buried in that is a really deep sense of mission that drives the entire uh, company and all its purpose around it. And as part of it, there are certain core principles that everyone believes in and works by, some of them being that innovation is at the core of everything we do, and it's everyone's job, not just one department off on the side, that every single mm-hmm. person is responsible for innovation. Second is the most important person is the user, or what in our parlance is the consumer, the people the audience who use our products and do everything putting their interest first, even about the financial interests of the company itself. And the third one is think in terms of 10x improvements. Make How can we make something 10 times faster, 10 times uh, more efficient, 10 times cheaper, etc.? And then the uh, fourth one would be a general operating principle that fast is always better than slow. Mm. You don't have to get it perfect, but move <clears throat> quickly and uh, get our consumers to use things and give us feedback, and we'll keep iterating from that point on. Slow, ver- uh, uh, a very pragmatic question on slow versus fast. On well, Fast is better than slow. Uh, <laughs> fast over slow, 10x improvement. How does the company bring those ideas to, the, to life, kind of off the statement that's on the wall? Sure, yeah. I mean, just let's look at a product everybody uses, like humans navigate around the world. We get from 
place A to place B. And the way we used to do it, getting lost trying to ask questions, all that changed when the entire world map has been taken and put into your pocket in the form of a smartphone. And the first version of it didn't work that perfectly. It was a two-dimensional map that you had to have some sort of spatial imagination to navigate your way. And uh, all these uh, years, they constantly keep iterating. Every few weeks, a new version of some aspect of maps is rolled out. And how we navigate around the world has continued to become easier, simpler, more useful, including last Wednesday, we announced something. I mean, this is like fast forward to a week ago, where when you hold a phone in a location, the phone's camera looks at where you're standing and then overlays the image you're looking at, mm. the building or the street, onto your Google Maps. So now, spatially, you know exactly where you stand. You don't need to turn around and trying to figure out what is north, what is south. Using So that level of capability, and this is what I mean by constant improvement. The very first version of Maps couldn't do any of that. By the way, before we lose that point, can I update my iPhone right now? Is that ready to go? If I, I, Google, I can update Google Maps on my iPhone and we're, we're set yeah, with the it. latest version. It should have automatically happened. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Let me just remind everybody that you are listening to a special edition of Leadership in Action. This is Wharton Reunion Radio, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host. I'm with my good friend here and colleague, Jeff Klein. And we're talking with Gopi Khalil, the chief evangelist of brand marketing at Google. Sure. Uh, we're talking a lot about how Google's relationship with um, with big brands, with customers has changed. Um, how has the digital world impacted the way, the way Google works? Um, what's the employee experience, and has that changed over time? Well, Google's entire uh, experience is built around digital from yeah. the ground up from day one. So, yeah, as as the uh, you know, products and services. And wh what really drives us is looking at how consumers are changing their mm -hmm. behavior and approach and what their expectations are, which constantly get reset. So here's a tiny example. Uh, to begin with, I always remind people, I was telling all my friends here at Reunion, that when I graduated, there was Google was not even born then. Right. It, it happened the same year, but subsequently a few months after we graduated. And it was no coincidence, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was years later, um, in only as recent as 2006, when the first smartphone was created, sure. right? 2006. And everything that has happened just on the palm of your hand through, through the smartphone mobile devices has been pretty astonishing. It's become the world's largest deployed technology ever. Yeah. And uh, with that, we do everything from navigator way around the world to using it as a remote control to the world where you click on it and a car shows up at your door to ordering your bread and milk and and to listen to music or mm -hmm. take pictures. Incredible. So it is really that pace at which consumers have adopted that drives the DNA and rhythm of how we work and respond to it. Uh, and so we're constantly watching it mm -hmm. and trying to stay ahead of it in terms of both innovation and giving those consumers the services they need. Yeah, well, and and given that description, I I would uh, I'd love to talk with you about the book um, and what led you to write about resetting the connection and and living a conscious life. Yeah. So in the midst of all, I have personally maintained that the most important technology is still the one that is within us, our body, our breath, our brain, our consciousness, mm -hmm. because everything we experience in life has to be filtered by what I call your inner net, your inner technology, and everything that we create in life whether it's an incredible uh, 
uh, concept or theory that Professor Asim writes or whether it's an amazing talk on leadership you give, Jeff, or whether it's the next great product I designed with my colleagues. Mm -hmm. All of that has to come from our inner technology. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the quality of our life is determined by the quality of how we keep our inner technology, our body, brain, mind, etc., in a state of peak performance. The challenges with all of the digital technology surrounding us with the rings and the pings and the tweets, it constantly fragments our attention and focus and energy in many directions. Sure. So there's a real need at this point in life where humans are asking, how do I define or redefine my relationship with these technologies so that I can show up in life, be able to use these technologies effectively and still keep my internet in a state of peak performance? And uh, that's... and the, and. By a cultural accident, I was born and raised in India, so early on I was exposed to what I call ancient wisdom technologies or traditions like yoga, meditation, etc., mm -hmm. that took care of my body, mind, spirit. And then by an accident of the more recent education I had mm -hmm. around business and technology and engineering, I was working now in the world of digital technology, sure. and I was personally trying to see how do I make the two intersect and work effectively in my own life. And it's thinking and experimenting with all of that for the last 10 years that led to the book. And, and I, I think you've really captured one of the um, one of the core challenges of, uh, you know, of, of living in today's age right now. Right. Which is how do I stay as president present as I can with who I am, as well as present with a world that I'm always connected with. Um, what's a first step someone could take towards bringing those worlds together or managing them more intentionally? Well, first of all, it might be just, you know, uh, separating the two when the, when there is a need to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I were to use the expedition trek that I did with uh, uh, Professor Rasim uh, when we were in the Himalayas, you know, during those 10 days, you had to be present to the environment and everything else around mm -hmm. you and to the people because it is physically demanding and challenging. And thankfully, none of the phones, et cetera, did not really worked that we I think we might have had one satellite phone in the group so it forced us to unplug be out there in really challenging nature I would call mm -hmm. up high in rarefied air climbing up uh, the lower slopes of this pretty tall mountain with depending on the others in the group and uh, and, and also the porters etc and we had okay. to be extremely present to it so that's one way by which you can occasionally actually take a step back from all of this and be totally plugged in but even in the midst of our in a, uh, busy life in the middle of a corporate setting, there mm -hmm. are many ways by which you need to carve out time. There might be sometimes you're fully immersed in the technology. At other times, you might have to step back. Like you could walk into a meeting and say, I'm going to shut my laptop up, put the phone away, and just talk to the person, listen to what is being presented. Or I have my, one a ritual of mine is every Monday at 530, I stop and I teach a yoga class on the Google campus. Mm -hmm. And that's non-negotiable. And for 12 years, I haven't missed a single class unless I'm traveling in another country. So it is you have to carve out windows yeah. like that in a 24-hour cycle in order to make sure that you're nurturing your Internet even as much as you're effectively using the Internet at other times to get your work done. Gopi, let's stay on that for a minute more. Uh, pick it up on the fact that you were featured maybe a, three or four months ago in an article in the New York Times about the topic we've been referencing here. And you've been playing a role not only in helping yourself become focused on your inner world along with the Internet, but others as well. So 
talk, if you wouldn't mind, about how you take some of these ideas, yoga and well beyond, and help others become more mindful. Well, I, I feel I received a great gift from the teachers I studied with and practiced with growing up in India and subsequently. And um, in, in the traditions in which they teach, they say the greatest way by which you can say thank you is to pass it on to others. Uh, but I want to be careful about claiming that <clears throat> I'm any kind of teacher with extraordinary wisdom. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm just still continue to be a student and a beginner in learning. And in these workshops and seminars that you refer to, this one in the New York Times referred to the program I taught at uh, Esalen mm-hmm. on, in the Big Sur Coast in California. And it's really coming together with others who are on a similar journey and experimenting and exploring with them. I share some of the things that have worked for me. I talk to them about the things that don't work where I've failed. And uh, they, in turn, share their own experiences around it. And I would say collectively we are learning and moving forward. But it's really a support group that kicks in at that yeah. point. So uh, staying on that for uh, just sort of one more swing at it. On working now back into the work setting, but bringing that other part of your life into the, into the work setting, yeah. lots of phrases that we kick around to kind of capture the need to integrate <laughs> work and life and yeah. need good balance. When you're at work at Google, uh, just think about your evangelical work and bringing brands, um, helping those brands working with you to do what they want to do on uh, through Google. What parts of what we've just described, you've just described, do you tend to carry into your workplace actively in some way that they inform what you're doing? Yeah, I would say all the time because I don't try to compartmentalize my work life and my other life. I say there's only yeah. one life because the same whole person shows up at work. And uh, it is that integrated human that is really showing up in as a human in the personal life as well as in the professional life. So thankfully, again, I work in a culture, a workplace culture, which encourages that in- integration. Mm-hmm. So the many ways by which I might bring elements of one into the other is I start meetings with my team with a small meditation session that helps everyone kind of ground and put a separation between whatever frenzied thing they were dealing with. I've had clients, I've led them out in between to take breaks and say, let's go outside and do a short yoga session before we come back Mm. and talk about data measurement and strategy. So we build all of these things into, um, yeah, the workplace. And again, like I said, if you just look at the the yoga program that I created at Google called Yoglers, it's a yoga program for Googlers, we have 330 classes a week. Uh, at Google, it's the largest oh. yoga program in the world, but that many opportunities now exist for colleagues to go take a break and practice. So it all happens in the context of your work day so that there are time to pause, go engage with it, reconnect, reset, and then come back and do a great job with whatever, you're trying, whatever problem you're trying to solve. Gopi, we've got a couple of minutes here. Sure. And one quick question for me and one from Jeff, and then we're going to uh, wrap up. Okay. Uh, this is so great. You should ask for another extra 30 minutes. I, love. <laughs> I wish we had it. This has been fascinating. Yeah. Uh, great to hear about what you've been doing and where you're coming from and how you got there. Let's take it into the future. How about five, maybe 10 years out? What are you going to be doing in five or 10 years? Uh, I am hesitant to even predict because if I would look five years ago and you ask me, is this what you're doing? <laughs> 
I could not have predicted. I couldn't. My, it had hit. It is well past the limits of my imagination yeah. mm-hmm. in the way things have changed and what is emerging around the world. So, I do not know. But in broad strokes, I hope it'll be around the following three things. One is to use all of the technology and creativity that humans manifest, and uh, through the world of organization business, see if we can serve the greater good, have a positive impact on on the world. And the second is to uh, that in some way be involved and there is some big problem out there that is yet to be solved. So even something as simple as a billion people today are vision impaired and just eyeglasses will fix the problem. But creatively, we haven't come up with a scalable way by which to do it. So some there, there, that's one of hundreds of problems exist, and I hope I will get to work on some of them as well. And the third is just my own personal growth development and see during the limited time I have on the planet, how can I live and work and play as my highest self? Terrific. So Mike asked the forward-looking question, so I'll, I'll ask the reflective question. Okay. You're, you're back here. You're at Reunion, yep. back on a campus where you earned an MBA, and I know that one of the things you talk about in the book is uh, the importance of living with gratitude. So yep. as, as you're back here on campus, what are you feeling grateful about? Well, I'm grateful for the simple fact that I got an opportunity to go to this amazing school and the things I learned. But more than what I learned in a book or a classroom, I think it's the relationships that I built both with my classmates, with a larger group of alumni, and with the professors that have held me in in good stead. And it's come back over and over again to serve me in many different ways. And I'm just you know, grateful that when I got out to go and experiment in this world, in this case in, in Silicon Valley area with all of the emerging technologies. But it's quite a privilege to be able to do all of those things professionally yeah. um, that have led to both personal, professional fulfillment and a feeling that there's some contribution we've all been able to make. That's great. We're we're grateful you could spend the time today. Too. Thank you, Thank Jeff. Thank you, Gopi. Thank you, Professor. So, Gopi, by way of uh, bringing it to a final close here, for people who like to read your book, they know where to go for that. But to learn more about you directly, how would they take that on? Well, my website, www.kalail.com, is one place. So I'm also pretty active on social media. And uh, a lot of my talks are on YouTube, so you can go watch that there. And I always joke and say it's very simple. Go to this uh, little search engine called Google.com and type in (laughs) (laughs) my name and you'll be directed to everything you need. (laughs) The world is at our fingertips. Uh, Gopi, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your being here. Thank you, Professor Sussi. Thank you, Jeff. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 